0: Father, uh, it is a, it's a blessing to be able to send some of our young men and women uh, to another part of the world in the name of Jesus and to have them serve you there. And we pray that all kinds of things would be happening in them as they follow you and serve you, that, Lord, their friendships would go deeper, their trust and their love in you would grow that the labors that they are a part of there would actually bless and serve the village that they're in, Uh, the little ones that they'll be serving and the uh, adults that they'll be serving. Father, use them. Let them be about fruitful ministry. And we pray for their safety too, God, as they travel. Uh, Just watch over them and protect them. We pray for this country of Guatemala, God, where there have been some villages impacted by this Volcanic eruption uh, where people have lost homes and um, we would just pray for this country as it manages this, this natural disaster, this disaster that has happened. And uh, we pray, Father, that uh, you would work in us. There's a sense, God, in which we are all natural disasters, <laughs> the things going on in us, the sin in us is far more destructive than we imagine but we would ask to hear from you this morning. We would ask you to be our teacher. We would ask you to bring encouragement to us and a perspective to us, God, for we ask it all for the sake of and in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay. Well, this morning we continue looking at this, uh, the life of Moses. We've been in a study of the book of Exodus. We're going to look at something today that... uh, I'll just call the roundabout way of the Lord. I don't have a great name for it, but we're gonna kind of examine the roundabout way of the Lord. The fact that sometimes God leads his children to places where they don't wanna go, amen? Ever been someplace you don't wanna go? Yeah. desert places, difficult places. In Exodus 3, God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And he tells Moses that he plans to bring uh, his people out of slavery, out of that place where they've been oppressed for hundreds of years and into a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to take them from a very bad situation to a very good situation. And it sounds awesome. Uh, The journey should take only really a few weeks, a month at most. Uh, Canaan wasn't that far away. Just a short trek across a relatively small peninsula. And there's even a highway that they can travel. uh, A well-traveled road that they can take. Uh, But this strange thing happens. God leads them in a way that they, first of all, didn't expect, and secondly, don't really want to go. Uh, We read in Exodus 13 these words. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. And so God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, the Lord went ahead of them in the pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So we can kind of imagine this situation. The Pharaoh lets the people go. The whole nation gathers, of course, for the journey, and uh, they are in the head towards the promised land. Uh, they don't even need a map, really, because there's the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. No map needed. That's their guidance system. Uh, this is going to be easy, right? It's easy. But imagine their surprise when the pillar of cloud Uh, makes a right turn instead of a left turn once they cross the Red Sea. You know, they thought they were going to the north and to the east, but instead the pillar heads south. The pillar seems to be directionally challenged somehow. Uh, And I'm sure this was a little bit confusing to the group as they wondered, why is the pillar heading directly into the desert? Uh, There's no milk and honey in the desert. It's leading them in the direction that would, frankly, be the last place they would ever want to go. And this sets up the great tension of the book of Exodus. While the people follow God and trust Him, um, the question really is, will the people follow God and trust Him as they find themselves being led in a place they don't necessarily want to go? Will God's people follow him when following doesn't seem to make any sense, at least in that moment? Will God's people stay faithful to him even though the way they're on is a roundabout way? It's kind of a loaded question. Uh, One of God's qualities that we find in the book of Exodus that is so irritating uh, to impatient people is that God never actually seems to be in a hurry. Have you noticed that? Um, God is never really in a hurry. He takes people to the promised land, here in our story, but He does it by way of the desert instead of the highway. And this way of the desert, this roundabout way, is not a minor detour, it's a major detour. Those of you familiar with the Exodus journey, uh, you, you tell me how long do they wander in the desert? 40 years. Forty years on a journey that geographically should have taken a couple weeks to a month approximately. But understand, during those 40 years, God's people learn important lessons about God, important lessons about themselves, and some important lessons about life. The desert is a very important place in the Bible in many stories of many people. Many of God's people spend prolonged times in desert places. Uh, Moses does, you remember. Uh, He, of course, becomes a fugitive. He kills a man, an Egyptian, and has to flee the Pharaoh. And uh, this is, of course, long before he becomes the leader of God's people. How long does Moses spend in the desert wilderness? It's another 40 years, isn't it? Uh, Elijah, if you know the story of Elijah's life at the climax of his ministry, he had to flee the queen, Queen Jezebel, who was looking to kill him, and he ran into the desert, and he was in a desert experience, we're told, for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Jesus, you may remember, after his baptism, after he heard the, the most incredible words you could probably ever hear, he hears the Father say, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Well, then Mark tells us that at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, the wilderness. And he was in the desert, we read, for 40 days. Over and over and over, it happens in the lives of the people who seek God uh, that they wind up in desert places. In fact, I would say that everybody is going to log some time in the desert. It's how life works. It's how God works. The desert is the place where you do not want to go. The desert is the place that does not flow with milk and honey. The desert can be dry. The desert can be a barren place. And if you're a follower of Jesus, get ready. The desert's coming. It's just coming. You will spend some time there. There will be times in your life when your heart aches with some hurt or some loss that you've experienced that doesn't make any sense. There will be times when you get fatigued and even sleep will not refresh you. There will be times when you long for something, maybe even a good thing, not a selfish thing. And it seems like God could so easily answer your prayers to give you this thing that you desire, but he doesn't. It doesn't happen. Sometimes your season in the desert is triggered by some event, a relationship that means the world to you is shattered. A loved one becomes ill. Maybe they're not gonna recover. A child that you love becomes a a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, or you have a financial disaster and you don't know how in the world you are going to deal with this, or you have a dream that you've cherished for years and years and years, a dream that you have worked towards. You look forward to the day when this is going to happen. You have prayed day in, day out that God would enable this dream to happen. And then one day you realize not only has it not materialized, it's not going to. It's the death of a dream. And when that dream dies, a part of you dies with it. Sometimes you find yourself in the desert for no discernible reason. And in those times, even faith is hard. You pray and you pour out your heart, but there's no sense of God's nearness, of his presence. And you're confused and you wonder why? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? And there really is no answer not one that you know. And your spirit feels like it's in a dry and barren place. That's the desert. And some of you have been there and some of you are there right now. And I wish I had the words to bring that balm of comfort to you in the midst of the the desert experience or words to answer the question why, but the truth of the matter is I don't have those words. You need to know That those of you who are in the desert right now, even though you're in the desert, here's the truth that we have in scripture. And that is this, that God has not forsaken you and you have not been abandoned, even though you might not know at all why you're where you're at. God leads his children in roundabout ways sometimes. That's just a fact. But as he does that, he never forgets them. He never forsakes them. Nor does he ever waste a desert experience. Instead, he uses the desert. Now, that's, that's not even necessarily comforting, if we're honest, really, <laughs> is it? I mean, it's good to know. In fact, it's vital to know. But it doesn't make going into the desert or being in the desert feel good. It's just true that the desert is never the the quickest way. It's never the easiest way to get somewhere. But if God takes us into the desert, it's always the best way. That's what a person of faith, a person who follows, is forced to believe. It's the best way because God does shape souls in the desert. That's how God works. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about some Uh, some things that we can learn from those times when we're in the desert. I want to talk about four things, in fact, that we observe that happen in the lives of the Israelites as they wander in the desert. Here's the first one. The first one is, uh, I believe the desert is a place where we learn patience and we learn trust more deeply than at any other time in our lives we learn to follow the god who is just never ever in a hurry and who is always up to something when we get to a desert place we get anxious about being there that's almost a universal experience why am i here why is this happening this feels awful and we want to find a way out of the desert as quickly as we can and so oftentimes we will look for a quick fix well you know if i just Buy more lottery tickets, that'll probably get me out of this financial mess, you know. Or we want to go back to Egypt, that's what we see the Israelites. Oh, we remember those good old days around the fire with the leeks and the onions and the fish and the great time we had as slaves. Yeah, okay, but you forget. But you see, the desert is the place where God's people must follow God, unfortunately, one day at a time. That's how it works. We read in Exodus that every day the people would wake up and there was this pillar, right? A pillar of cloud by day. And every day if the pillar moved, they had to decide, will I move too? Will I follow? Follow it on this roundabout way through the desert. Uh, That's what they would have to decide. Or even more difficult, if the pillar just stays put, then they had to decide, will I stay put? Keep in mind, they know the way to Canaan without God. It's not that far away. They could get there on their own, but do they have the patience to follow God even when he leads them into the desert? Even when his plan is to use the desert, will they trust him one day at a time? Loaded question, but understand that's always the question in our lives. God is always trying to teach us to trust him one day at a time, especially in a desert. Do you remember how God fed his people in the desert? how did he feed them? Manna, that's right. Every morning they had to gather enough manna just for that day, no more. But some people got impatient with this idea of having to gather manna one day at a time. So they got up one morning and they decided they would get an extra supply. And just in case God didn't show up tomorrow and didn't provide, and they would have a stash Yeah, they became impatient. And we read this in Exodus 16. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell, it says. Manna had a real short shelf life. In fact, on the expiration date, it just said today. (laughs) That was it, today, just good for today. And so you had to trust that God would feed you Tomorrow, does this sound familiar? Jesus, teach us to pray. Oh, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we have a problem with this in North America. Christians in North America are not used to living day to day today. We've got insurance policies for everything. We've got refrigerators that store up food till kingdom come. We've got freezers. I took some meat out of the freezer just recently, and I saw that it had expired six months ago, and I'm thinking, hmm, do I chance it? You can ask me later what I did, but uh. (laughs) you see, God was hoping in the desert that his people would learn after 14,600 days in the desert, that's 40 years, uh, and every day God giving them their daily bread, just maybe they would figure out that God would take care of them each and every day, one day at a time. There's a lesson in there. And God would want them to relax, to be patient, to trust. Because after all, God will provide. The desert is the place where we learn this, that God can be trusted. God is at work, whether I understand that or not. It's a place for developing patience and trust. That's the first thing. Second thing, uh, the desert is a place where God grows people up. That really is what the desert is about. God develops character in the desert. Souls get sanctified, if you want to put Christian language on it, in the desert. The desert is the place where if you let God work, he will change you. You will not be the same going into the desert, coming out of the desert. He will grow you up. He will develop a character in you that causes you to look like, act like, and sound a lot like Jesus. The question always gets asked when we are led into the desert. This is universal. We all ask this question. Why? Why am I here? Why am I being led here, Lord? And in the passage that we read a moment ago, it's one of those rare times and and wonderful places where we actually get a little look-see into why God did what he did. Most of the time, we don't get this information. But in Exodus 13, it says, when the Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. You see, the direct route would have taken the Israelites on a path that went right through Philistine territory. And that would have certainly meant warfare immediately upon coming out of Egypt. And God just uh, knows them. He knows them inside and out. And even though God was perfectly capable of defending his people, he knew that they didn't believe that yet. They simply didn't believe it. And he knew that fighting the Philistines would be too much for them. You know, there's certain temptations that can take hold of us that are not too much for us to bear. That would have been too great for them to bear. God knew that. They would be too frightened. And so God planned to take time to develop courage and faith and trust and patience in his people. That's what he was doing. Uh, It couldn't be developed on the highway. That same thing couldn't be developed in them on the direct route. You see, God was up to something as he always is. Here's an interesting truth about God. God is not nearly so concerned about where his people are going as he is about who they will be when they get there. Not sure who said that, but I heard that one time and I thought that'll preach. So I put it in there. So (laughs) God is not so nearly so concerned about where his people are going as he is about who they will be when they get there. That's interesting. You could say God cares less about what job I have. He cares less about what house I buy or what car I drive, assuming I can legitimately afford whatever I've got, than he does about what kind of character I develop in the midst of all those decisions. I don't know who made this observation either, but it's very true that it took one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. That's part of what God is up to in the desert. That's a big part of what God is up to in the desert, in the lives, in the hearts and the souls of his people. You see, it's easy to trust God in the land flowing with milk and honey, or at least it's easier. Uh, where everything is working out right and your prayers are all being answered. Wow, amen, that's wonderful. Your problems are few. Your kid's teeth are straight. Wow, what a blessing. Your boss just loves you. Faith is easier in those kinds of circumstances. But in the desert, that's another story. The desert is grad school for character development. That's what the desert times are in our lives. You remember Joseph? Uh, Joseph in Genesis 37, he's the young guy, he's the guy having dreams, he's the guy with a multicolored coat, you know, given to him by his dad that the dad doesn't give any of the other sons, right? Uh, Joseph is having dreams, and uh, these dreams are about everybody, his mom, his dad, and all his brothers bowing down to him, showing him honor and respect, and he just can't wait to share his dreams, and so he does, hey, everybody. Everybody guess what? Someday all of you are going to bow down to me. Isn't that great? What do you think of my dream? Joseph was immature. That dumb idiot should have shut up about his dreams until he better understood them. Uh, He was arrogant, incredibly prideful. He was boastful. He was frankly obnoxious. But God was planning to use this immature, arrogant, prideful, boastful, obnoxious young man in a very big, very powerful way after he does some character work in Joseph. Joseph needed to grow up. And so God sends Joseph to grad school for character development. You know the story, some of you. Next thing you know, his brothers sell him into slavery. Why not? He's no fun to have around. Joseph is taken to Egypt. He becomes Potiphar's Uh, right-hand man, so to speak, head of household, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of trying to rape her, and he spends years in jail because of this, learning to trust God, learning who's really in charge, learning that his life is actually to be all about glorifying God, whatever his circumstances, 13 years of Joseph's life are spent in this desert, wilderness, graduate school of character development all of this is essential schooling all of it is preparatory for joseph to do something that really matters uh, for kingdom things for joseph to become pharaoh's right hand man for joseph to become a useful tool in the hands of god That's Joseph. Think of David. David, king of Israel, was anointed by Samuel. He was told that he would be king someday. Soon David finds himself in the employ of Saul, the king of uh, of, uh, the Israelites. His best friend is Saul's son, Jonathan. And then suddenly everything changes. Saul turns against David, begins to perceive that David has greater glory, is being set up by God to rule and to take his place. And David becomes a fugitive, David is a hunted man, David is sleeping in caves. He's fearing for his life. David learns all about deserts, all about roundabout ways of how to become king in David's case, right? There's Daniel. You've read the story of Daniel. You know, we're never told anything about Daniel that's negative. It's a very unusual book. He's a very unusual character in the Bible, almost always we get a glimpse of the dark side of anyone, David, whoever, whoever it happens to be that we're talking about. Not Daniel. Daniel comes across in the story as this gifted, wise, faithful, always devout follower of God. And yet, God puts Daniel in some very difficult desert places. And I would submit it's because God is doing some very deep character Work in Daniel's life. One day, uh, everything is going great for Daniel. I mean, he is—he's nobility. Uh, he's is very well educated, very bright. I mean, he looks like he's got a straight shot to stardom. You know, as this young, bright uh, son of a noble family there in Israel and Judah. But one day. Uh, The Babylonians show up and they carry him and tens of thousands of others off into exile and he ends up suffering persecution for his faith just because he follows God. And eventually he finds himself, you know the story, in a den of, some of you said thieves, didn't you? (laughs) A den of lions. Where's God in this? What could possibly be the point of this? Why is this happening? Well, one thing, Daniel's learning to trust, trust more deeply in God than he's ever had to before. He's learning that God is always in control, even in the den of lions, even in the desert. You know, whether it's Joseph or David or Daniel, they all become godly, humble people because of, not in spite of the time they spent in the desert. And so it begs the question for all of us, for you, for me. How, how about you in this? Has God taught you anything in the desert? Is he teaching you anything now in the desert? Or are you missing the lessons you should be learning while you're in the desert? God always wants to teach us about himself That's what the manna thing was about. Trust me. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be maggots if you get too much, but it'll be good if you eat it, you know, gather it and eat it tomorrow. What is he teaching you about yourself? You know, the important thing in the desert is to cooperate with God as much as you can. When you are there in the desert, be patient. Thy will be done, Lord. Not my will, but thy will. Trust Lord, I'm trusting. I want to be delivered from this desert, but I'm trusting that even in the midst of it, you're at work. And you want to listen. You want to develop the skill, the ability, the quietness of listening. Know that the desert is a place for character development. Um, When you can give thanks in the desert, when you can say in the desert, my God is faithful. My God is with me. I will honor him. I will give him glory even in the midst of this difficulty. I will serve him even in the desert. When you can say that, you are becoming the person you were meant to be. You are becoming more like Jesus. Your character is, is starting to shape up to look a lot like Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus trusted his father even unto death, did he not? You know, Father, Jesus prayed, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done, he prayed. God developed this kind of character in his son, Jesus. He developed this kind of character in part in people like David and Joseph and Daniel and Elijah. God still does this. God is still very much a part of developing the character of Jesus in us. It's what discipleship is. It's what following him is all about. He often does this too in desert places. Now, here's a third thing about the desert. The first was, you know, it's where I learned patience and trust. The second was, it's where God will grow my character, particularly as I co- uh, cooperate with him. Here's the third. The desert is the place where I learn the truth about me, maybe better than any other place. It's where I come face to face with the sin in my life, with who I really am, my own depth of idolatry and depravity, the truth that there are so many things in my life that I love more than God. This comes out the most starkly, usually in a desert place. See, the truth is, sometimes we need desert experiences to get us to face the truth about ourselves. Joseph needed the experience of being made a servant. He needed the experience of being falsely betrayed and being jailed for what seemed like no good reason at all, God. He needed that desert experience to become who he needed to become. That's what it took for him to see his pride and see his arrogance and see his haughtiness and his own absolute need of God. Joseph eventually got to the point where when the Pharaoh said, hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. You know what Joseph said? No, I can't, but I know a God who can. Instead of, oh yeah, man, I can do that for you. No, it was, no, I can't, but God can. Joseph was a different man. David needed the experience of Saul's betrayal of being helpless. David needed Nathan, the prophet Nathan's confrontation in his life where Nathan came and said to David, David, you're the man, you're the adulterer, you're the murderer. And that crushed David to have his sin publicly exposed the way it was. David needed the experience of his own son, Absalom's betrayal, And the crushing personal effect that that had on all of these things you see are desert experiences for David. These things made David aware of his own depth of sin and need for God. Do you know that you probably, almost certainly, love God directly in proportion to the degree that you know your own sin? If you don't think you need Jesus much, it's because you don't think you're that bad of a sinner. Let me promise you something you're a really bad sinner. Ask somebody who knows you well. You are. Holly reminded me this morning how bad a sinner I am. I said, shut up, I don't need that. But anyway. You know, after David was confronted by Nathan regarding these things in his life, David was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he was, he was broken by this. You read his life story. He was definitely broken by this. And he was moved on by the Spirit to write and reflect and even confess his sin to God. And we read about this in Psalm 51. These are David's words. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Create in me a pure heart. See, that's what he lacked. He didn't have a pure heart. It was a divided heart. It was a heart that loved other things more than God. He wanted Bathsheba more than he wanted God. He wanted Bathsheba enough to kill her husband to get her. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What hope does David have of becoming the man he's supposed to be? His hope's only in God. Only God can create that willing spirit in us. David got a pretty in-depth look at his own sinful heart in the desert. He knew that only God could change him. Some desert experiences kind of open that window into your soul, and you see in there, and it's not pretty. And you have to grapple with the truth about yourself. And when you do that, it will change you. It can lead you to the only solution, the only, only hope there is for change, and that, of course, is Jesus. That's God. And we don't talk about this too often, but the sin in us is very, very, very ugly stuff. On the surface, when we gather in here and sit together and sing happy worship songs and things like that, we look pretty good. Alone sometimes, we don't look so good. At moments of anger or outburst, we don't, we don't look so good. Often, you see, time in the desert is the only thing that can get us to come to grips with the sin inside us, the only thing that gets us to see our need of Jesus. And once again, I would say to you, if you only kind of sort of a little bit think you need Jesus, then you only kind of sort of a little bit see your sin. You have no idea how thin the ice is upon which you stand. Same as me. Same as me. Jesus offers us freedom from bondage to sin. There's the other thing we don't see. We don't really understand or grapple with oftentimes the degree to which we live in bondage to our sin, the, the way it controls us and affects our decisions and at times we're not even aware of. Jesus offers us freedom from the bondage of sin, as well as freedom from the punishment of sin. You know, the ultimate, I mean, there's all kinds of punishments of sin from our sins and the sinful choices we make. Uh, Some of those things happen in this life. You know, you make really dumb sinful choices, you pay a price for it, natural consequences. The ultimate consequence of sin, though, is eternal separation from a holy God. I wish that wasn't the case. But the Bible says it is. Eternal separation from a holy God who hates sin, hates hates what sin does in us. Jesus offers us freedom from the punishment of what our sins deserve. It's called grace and mercy. It's what we celebrate. That's why we do sing happy songs when we gather for worship. It's the grace and mercy of Jesus. You know, we don't see our need of Jesus without seeing our own depth of sin, without seeing the truth about ourselves. Deserts can teach us patience and trust. Deserts can grow us up in our character and deserts can tell us the truth about ourselves. One more thing here. Deserts are actually the place too where we learn to love God, period. We just learned that that's what life is about, dadgummit. It's about loving God, period. <laughs> you know, we tend to be folks, well, I'll speak for myself, but I always think you're worse than me. So I, I'm gonna, I, think, I think you're in this boat. I don't know. Maybe you're not. You know, I tend to want to use God, make use of him. You know, I mean, I know he's powerful. I know he can do stuff. Pretty sure he can get me stuff I want. And I tend to even subconsciously make deals with God. Oh, man, if I'm really, 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 really good, maybe he'll give me that, you know. Follow God for what he can do for us. I once saw this little girl putting money in one of those machines, the, in one of those crane machines, you know. I don't know, he put in 25 cents and, the, and all the toys in it are pretty cool. I mean, they're like $2 toys, but you, don't, you only put in the quarter in the machine, right? And you crank the crane over there and you lower it down and it grabs the toy and then it always drops it before it pulls it over into the little dumpster thing. And the, kid, uh, the kids think, oh, this will be easy. It'll not be easy. It'll be fun. Just snag one of these good, it's only going to cost a quarter and I've got the toy. And I was watching this little girl do it. You see, adults know this, that the odds of getting one of those toys with that crane out of that machine are actually less than getting struck by lightning. Um. And so this little girl's playing the game, right? Putting her quarters in and doing this. And she's even talking to the machine. Oh, come on. Oh, I got it. Oh, I got it. Oh, oh. And then boom, you know, it would fall. She wouldn't get it. She just kept putting her money in. She was tithing, you know, to the crane. (laughs) And she just kept tithing to it until she didn't have any more to tithe. She'd given everything to the crane. And No toys. No toys. At the end of this little episode, her money was gone. Do you think she still liked the crane machine? No, not one bit. She was angry. In fact, I remember she tried reaching her arm. You you didn't get your arm up in that thing. Like you'd need a six foot long arm to do this. Reach up in there and over that bin and maybe snag one of those toys, right? But no. Now she's saying some not so nice things to the crane, right? And here's the deal. I'm afraid that sometimes... I treat, we treat God like he's some kind of crane machine. Man, I love you, God. I'll follow you just as long as you get me what I want. Or just as long as I think I've got a chance of getting what I want. And here's where the desert experience comes in. Because you see, the desert times are the times when no toys are coming out of the machine. And I don't get the house, I don't get the car, I don't get the job, I don't get the raise, I don't get the health, I don't get the toys that I want or maybe even think I deserve. And that's when I find out, do I really love God or do I love him for who he is and what I hope he'll do for me? Do I love him for what What I think I'll get from him? Do I love God because he is wonderful beyond all imagining? Do I love God because he deserves, fully deserves my full obedience or do I follow him because of what he gives me? You know, we feel this kind of thing very keenly in our personal relationships with each other. We don't like to be used by anybody, am I right? Um, so we're very sensitive to being used or you know manipulated by people. You ever been invited to a party and some at somebody's house and you go only to discover you've been invited to a presentation of a multi-level marketing business? You ever had that happen to you? I have. How did you feel about that? You felt kind of abused when you got there and discovered this, didn't you? You thought you were being invited into friendship. But in fact, you were being invited into someone's downline sales team, right? And it felt like you'd been used a little bit. They didn't tell you this. You felt a little taken advantage of. God is incredible that, that, he, doesn't, that he puts up with our, our attempts at trying to use him, surprise him, you know, <laughs> But desert experiences, I think, sometimes are for our good in this way that they clarify what our relationship with God is all about. Do I really love God and will I follow him no matter what through no matter what kind of desert or do I just want to use him? In the desert, the really terrible, wonderful thing happens. You lose everything sometimes in the desert but you find God and you discover that God is enough. You discover in the desert that God is with you. The pillar of cloud is there by day and the pillar of fire is there by night. And he is taking us somewhere if we trust him, if we hold on. He's doing that even when we don't understand it. It's so interesting to me, Jesus went to his own throne his own heavenly throne seated at the right hand of the father his place of exaltation his place of glory but he went there not by the straight route for goodness sake not by the highway but by way of the cross talk about desert place he discovered that even in death even when separated and forsaken by the father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father didn't ultimately forsake him. Instead, the father had a plan in this mess, desert mess. And the plan on that occasion was to vanquish sin and death. And so Jesus is brought back to life, you see. And so Jesus says to us now, he says, you know, come come, follow me. Come follow me. And you know what? Our journey with Jesus won't be any different than Jesus' journey was, should we expect it to be. That's why we're told to take up our cross and follow him. You see, we too will go to desert places, but for a reason, for a purpose. It won't go to waste. Jesus says, trust me, be patient. I'm at work in you doing a work of eternal importance. And I will never leave you or forsake you, he says. I've been in the desert too. I went there for you. In fact, I went there so that the day, there is a day coming when all deserts will be done away with. There won't be any more deserts of any kind again. That's one of the reasons Jesus came. You know, uh, the Bible actually promises that day that uh, when deserts will just be done, everything will be a garden, a garden, The prophet Isaiah had a picture of this. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, And of course, remember, Isaiah was writing at a time when God's people were about to go into exile. So he writes about a really messy, awful, ugly desert coming. Imagine the desert they went through, being conquered by an enemy, a ruthless, brutal enemy who would take tens of thousands of people into uh, custody and put them into slavery. It would take the wealth, it would abscond with all the wealth of the city of Jerusalem. It would take the best and the brightest, like Daniel, and cart them off to Babylon. It would take the women and the children and make them their own. It would enslave them. It would kill many of the men. I mean, you talk about desert place. I don't know that it gets worse than that. And Isaiah is looking forward to that. He sees that that's going to happen to the people of God who are in rebellion to God. They won't listen to God. And then Isaiah is moved on by the spirit to write about a time when it's gonna be different. And this is a time, of course, that's going to be brought about because of Jesus, 100%. These are the words of Isaiah. Uh, He says this, he says, the desert and the parched land will be glad instead of sad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. It's like Hudson Gardens, you know, at the peak point. That's what it's going to look like. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He will vanquish your enemies. That's what he's saying. And then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Just like it did once upon a time for the Israelites in the desert when God brought water. Isaiah says the burning sand. You ever been to the beach on those hot days? You try to make it to the water. Uh, and you take your little flip flops off, and man, your feet are scorched, you know. Before you get that's that's what's on that's what's on the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay. Jackals are predatory, you know, uh, animals looking for the looking to take down the weak. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. You picture it blowing in the wind, just beautiful. And a highway will be there, not desert paths. And it will be called the way of holiness. Everything there will be good. It will be right. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Who's the way? It's Jesus. No lion will be there nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Is that a pretty good picture? That's as good as it gets. And that's what's coming. I mean, you might be in a desert today. If not, you'll be in one tomorrow. And uh, the good news is somebody has overcome the desert for us. And the even gooder news is that, you know, there's a reason for deserts. They can be used by our God. He is so wise. He is so loving. He can use deserts to make us more like his son, Jesus. Jesus. All looking forward to this day that Isaiah saw. a day when it's all gardens and goodness and rejoicing. That's what we have to look forward to. Pretty good? Is that a great sermon? <laughs> oh, gee. I hope it's a great picture. I hope it's a great picture and I hope it stays with you even if you're in the midst of a desert, there's something better coming. Pray with me. Father God, your word is encouraging as well as convicting. God, when we're in desert places, would you teach us the lessons we need to learn? would you teach us to cooperate with you would you would you teach us the truth father about ourselves and our desperate deep need of jesus and father would you create that hope in us that looks forward to what isaiah saw looks forward to the day when the the crocus blossoms and the waters bubble up from the desert floor and the Hot sand is gone and replaced with a pool of cool water. Lord, we long and look forward to that day. It'll be the day when Jesus returns. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.